Let's say a prayer before we look at scripture this morning. Jesus, we thank you for always promising to be with us. Whenever we're gathered together, we just acknowledge your presence as our leader, our savior, our teacher, our guide. Jesus, make us more aware of your presence every day in our lives. Help us not let one day go by where we're not looking for you, and paying attention to you, and following you. Encourage us today, challenge us, God, and help us to know you more as we listen to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, how many of you have seen a documentary at some point in your life that changed some aspect of your behavior? Oh, less, less hands than the... Okay, how many of you have seen a documentary? Yeah, everybody. How many of you have seen a documentary that's changed some aspect of your life? Yeah, some of you, right? So here's, here's a few that I've heard of. I haven't seen them all. In no way is this an endorsement of any of these films. They are just an example of documentaries, so don't email me if you have a disagreement about one of them. But here's what's amazing about some of these kinds of documentaries now, is that they are really being created to shape not only what you think about some particular um, topic, but to try to get you to do something differently, right? And so, and maybe you met, met somebody this morning who's seen something that really has shaped their thinking and, and changed their life. Or maybe at work or in one of your relationships, someone will come in and say, did you see fill in the blank documentary? And then they have kind of a judgy look on their face, right? Like you probably still use straws, don't you? Yeah, okay. So don't you know, there's a, we have a plastic crisis. And, and you, um, you know, this is the space in our lives where it's kind of okay to influence other people. In most of our relationships, we hold back from trying to say anybody should do anything differently than they're already doing. And in this space, it's like, well, if you've seen this documentary, then you should probably be behaving differently than you currently are. Uh, in some ways, these minor prophets that we've been talking about for the last few weeks are like these documentaries in the 21st century. They are messages from God that are trying to get people's attention and say, reflect on your life. Think about the way you're living your life and see if it lines up with the things that God says are most important. That's another way to think about some of these books at the end of the Old Testament called the Minor Prophets. There are 12 of them. We've been talking about various of them over the last month or so. And today we're going to talk about the book of Haggai. So Haggai, you may not have read this morning on your way in. And we're calling this series the books we don't read because we know they're kind of overlooked books in the Bible. This book only has two chapters. You could read it ten times in the amount of time you're going to be listening to me talk today. Okay? So please, take a few minutes this week and read the book of Haggai for yourself. I will read most of it for you this morning. In the book of Haggai, multiple times, God is saying through the prophet Haggai, a, a phrase that, that's very simple, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Reflect on your life. In the 21st century, we are moving at such a pace that there may not be very many moments in your life where you pause and think about the different aspects of your life and say, is this really the way I want to be living? Is this the work life I want to be having? Is the, are these the relationships? Is this the worship life I want to be living in relationship with God? 
And our gathering together is an opportunity every week for us to do that, to consider our life, not just what we're doing on Sunday morning or not just what we're saying about God, but what we're actually doing with our everyday lives. Haggai is a book that asks us to reflect on our ways, the way in which we're living our life, and see if it lines up with what God's priorities are. So in that way, it's a little bit like one of these documentaries that's trying to persuade us to reflect on some aspect of our lives and maybe change our behavior. So we're going to take a look at this book. And as we've been doing this and trying to get used to these books, we've been using a resource called The Bible Project. Hopefully some of you have gone to thebibleproject.com. They have great overviews of biblical books in video form in just a few short minutes. And they also have great visual images like this one that sort of helps you see the big picture uh, in a visual way. So if you're a visual learner, go and find uh, these images of the book and kind of trace it. The video will actually walk you through the construction of this image to try to help you understand in, in broad strokes what these different books are about. So we're gonna watch a portion of the video this morning, it's just three minutes long, to give you an overview of what is the setting of Haggai and what's happening and what's the author focused on. So let's watch that video now. The book of the prophet Haggai. It's one of the smaller prophetic books, but crucially important in the overall story of the Hebrew Bible. So for centuries, the Hebrew prophets had been accusing Israel of breaking their covenant with God through idolatry and injustice. And they warned that God would send the great empire of Babylon to take out Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and haul off the people into exile. And it all happened in the year 587 BC. But that wasn't the end of the story. The prophets also believed that there was still hope and that God would one day bring back a transformed remnant of his people Israel to live in a new Jerusalem where God's presence would live in their midst. Now when we turn to Haggai, the year is 520 BC, nearly 70 years after the exile. And the Babylonian Empire has recently collapsed and the world is now ruled by the Persians. Now they allowed the return of any exiled Israelites who wanted to go back to Jerusalem which still lay in ruins. And so under the leadership of a high priest named Joshua and Zerubbabel, an heir from the line of David, and a group of exiles, they all returned and began to rebuild the city and their lives. Remember the story from the book of Ezra chapters 1 to 6. So our hopes are high and the future seems very bright, but it's not actually, at least from Haggai's point of view. The book consists of four sections that summarize Haggai's message given to the people of Jerusalem over the course of four months. He opens by accusing the people of misplaced priorities. And so yes, they have come back to Jerusalem, but they're spending all of their time and resources rebuilding their own fancy houses, while the temple still lay in ruins from its destruction from 70 years ago. So Haggai asks, are your own houses really more important than your allegiance to God? This neglect, Haggai says, is tantamount to the covenant rebellion of their ancestors, which is why the land is still unproductive, why they've been struck with famine and drought. And here Haggai's quoting from the list of covenant curses in the book of Deuteronomy. And so Haggai's challenging words, they're followed by a story of the people's response. Remember also the story in Ezra chapter 5. We're told that Zerubbabel, Joshua, the remnant of the people were provoked by Haggai's message and they were motivated. They started rebuilding the temple. So in the next section, Haggai follows up one month later and he addresses some problems of shattered expectations among the people. So the temple that they're rebuilding is really pretty unimpressive. It so here's how that sounds in, in Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. 
In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. I never exactly know how to pronounce these. If you're reading them for yourself, just say it with confidence. That's the key, always, right? Governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but they are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. God is asking the people that have come back from exile after 68 years of being in exile in Babylon to consider their ways, to think carefully about their lives. What does that look like for us? It looks like asking questions such as, what are your priorities? What would other people say about your priorities if they were describing your priorities for you? How are you, or how are we as a church, investing our resources, our time, our money? What are we spending our time doing? What do we care the most about? How would other people describe our church or any of, of us as individuals, as Christians? In Haggai, the challenge from God is that people are focused more on building up their own homes which is understandable, they just came back from exile, right? They need a place to live in. But he says, you've spent all your time and energy building your own house, and you've completely neglected the temple where traditionally God's presence has been understood to live. Now, the text tells us in verse 2 that the people didn't think it was time to rebuild the temple. Now, here are a whole bunch of different excuses that they're providing, right? Maybe they thought it's not quite 70 years. The earlier prophets said it was going to be 70 years. It's only been 68 years. So we really have two more years before we have to do any of that temple project work. That was one uh, scholar's hypothesis. Maybe they thought it wasn't their responsibility to rebuild the temple. Shouldn't one of the leaders do that? Or Zerubbabel or one of the kings or the, the king of Persia should give us money to do that? We shouldn't have to do that out of our own pockets. Maybe that's what they were thinking. Maybe they thought that because they had no temple in Babylon, that they really didn't need a temple anymore. We, we were, God was with us. God told us he was with us when we were in Babylon. Why do we need to rebuild the temple? God's just with us now. We don't have to worry about rebuilding God's house. Now, there's a, maybe a whole host of reasons that might explain why they weren't rebuilding the temple, but the text is very clear. God is trying to tell the people, you are focused on building your own house you're self-focused rather than being focused on what I care the most about, which right now is rebuilding my home, the temple. And that's why these other things that you're doing in your life are not working the way that you think they should work. All your planting, eating, drinking, clothing, all your hard labor is not satisfying you. It's not producing the kind of life that you expect it to produce. Despite all your efforts to build up your own life, you're not finding the satisfaction that you think you would find by investing your resources that way. And the text says that's because you're self-focused 
rather than God-focused. Now, aren't there just tons of 21st century parallels in this message? You know, sometimes we think about these books that are written hundreds and sometimes a thousand or more years ago. And we think, man, Haggai doesn't have anything to say to the 21st century, right? That's ancient. It's only two chapters. It's irrelevant. As I was reading this, I thought, you know, people, ourselves included, we're definitely more focused on ourselves than we are on the things that God says are priorities. Don't we all struggle with that from time to time? People are also not finding satisfaction in the wealthiest country, in the history of the world. People are also not finding satisfaction from eating and drinking and clothing and working, right? No matter how much we have, we're not finding this deep joy and sense of purpose that God promises to us through our relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not even sure how, that we're aware, like we have a, a blind spot as a culture with just how self-focused we are. If we're gonna talk about the 21st century culture, you know, living in Minnesota, living in the United States, we might be one of the most self-focused cultures ever. We have pictures called selfies. We have sticks designed for you to help you take pictures of yourself that are everywhere. I have heard stats that say the majority, the vast majority of pictures that we are taking now are of ourselves. Just saying, might be an indication. We might wanna take a minute and just reflect on whether or not this challenge that Haggai is offering to these people might be relevant to us as well. Has self-focus challenged us in our ability to prioritize what God says is most important or not? I think that's a relevant question for us. I wanna pause here and go back to uh, a topic that Stephanie talked about in the intro sermon to the series a few weeks ago. And sometimes we pause for three, four minutes in the middle of a sermon to do a segment that we call Seminary for Everyone. And it's because we think there's some, some higher level concepts that are really important to understand to really get at the root of some of the message of the scripture. So we're gonna do that this morning, just for a couple minutes. So if you don't like it, or you just don't know if it's relevant, you can take a short nap for like four minutes, and then I'll tell you when to come back and we'll continue our regular discussion. Okay, so there's a view of God that Steph mentioned just briefly a few weeks ago called moralistic thera therapeutic deism. Can anybody say that? Don't even try. Moralistic therapeutic deism is the, is the technical term. It comes from some research all the way back in 2005 of thousands of teenagers who were interviewed by a couple of researchers to ask them about what they believed to be true about God. What was their religious perspective? And these five things came out of that research that has later now been called moralistic therapeutic deism. All right, and I wanna explain it to you in a little bit of detail. Okay, these are the five tenets of this perspective on God. First, there is a God who exists, who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth, all right? There's a God out there that created where we are and kind of watches over things in sort of disconnected way, all right? Number two, God, what God wants is for people to be good, for people to be nice, for people to be fair to each other, and that's the sort of thing that's taught in the Bible and it's taught in lots of other world religions too. 
and, and you can find it in any of those places and anywhere you find it is good, as long as you learn to be good, nice, and fair. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy, to feel good about yourself, to find yourself, to find your authentic self. That's the way that we talk about it now. You hear it everywhere when you start listening for it. God does not need, number four, to be particularly involved in anyone's life except if you have a problem. So there's a view of God that says God mostly doesn't care about what you're doing with your life unless you need that God's help and then pray and say, God, now I know we don't talk that much, but I'm desperate. Would you please help me with this? And in that case, God gets involved in this way of thinking. Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. Doesn't matter what they did. Doesn't really matter what they believed. There's like a universal salvation included in this way of thinking. Now, hear me in saying this. This is not what the Bible says. This is not what I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to show you that this way of thinking about God is everywhere around you all the time. It is one of the default sets of beliefs that people have in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your relationships, right? And it's not a religion that someone started. There's no cult leader. There's no personality behind this. It's actually just something that formed over time as, I think, as we became more self-focused. We have created a God in our own image that makes us feel good about the way we're living. In the, in the Bible, do you know what they call that? They call it an idol. This is one of the 21st century idols. A view of God that's not true, that, by the way, every religious worldview, uh, uh, any religious perspective would disagree with these five things. Moral, a moral perspective means that we just have rules for being good people, therapeutic, that God wants to help us feel better about our lives, and deism, that God's not that involved in our life. God just sort of floats out there unless we absolutely need God. Now, when you hear it explained that way, you, most of you probably go, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. That doesn't line up with what I believe. But this is a view of God that supports self-focus. It allows us to make ourselves the focus of our lives, and now we even have a God that supports that focus. This is incredibly dangerous. I'm taking three or four minutes to tell you this because I want everybody to be aware that if you don't shape your perspective, if you don't listen to messages like Haggai that actually challenge what you think and how you're living your life, you will likely default to believing this. If you do nothing to develop your spiritual life in the 21st century, this will probably be your religious worldview, most likely. It is extremely dangerous and disruptive, and it's nothing like what the Bible says is true about God, and it's not what Haggai is saying is true about God either. Haggai is saying God wants to be the priority of your life. That's the big idea of today's sermon. God wants to be the absolute priority of your life. And God will even make use of circumstances sometimes, not all the time, sometimes to get your attention and help you see that God is not the priority of your life. Maybe you are the priority of your life. All right, end of lesson on the seminary for everyone. So if you took a nap, you're welcome to come back and join us.
Haggai chapter 1, verses 7 to 15 continues the story. Let me read it for you. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Here's what God wants you to do. Again, give careful thought to your ways, to your life. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people, I am with you, declares the Lord. And so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Consider your ways, and if you want to obey and follow me, start building this temple. That was the clear instruction from Haggai to the people. And again, God used their circumstances to say, if you continue to be self-focused, you're going to be continually frustrated. If you put me first in your life and pursue the things that I care about, all those other things will be added to you as well. The people listened and they obeyed. They watched the documentary and they changed. God stirred up their spirits, it says towards the end of that section. God gave them a desire is what that means. They wanted to live differently. They wanted to build the temple. They didn't only want to panel their houses and make their lives better. They wanted to be about the thing that God said is most important. So what, what does this sort of obedience to God's leading look like in the 21st century? Jesus talked about this all the time. It was the core of his message. He said things like, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and everything else will be added to you, right? Matthew 6. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent, turn around, and believe the good news. Come and follow me, Mark chapter 1. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew chapter 22. Jesus frames our obedience, not in terms of building a structure like the people in Haggai were being asked to do, but in building a community of people who join the work of God's kingdom to do the things that Jesus asked us to do. And when we do that as the church, when we live in God's world and do the kingdom work that God invited us to do, the church's reputation improves, God's reputation improves, and we get a chance to say this moral Moralistic therapeutic deism is false. The God of the Bible is true, and you're invited to believe and trust that God. In the 21st century, I made a list, a bullet point list of, of ways in which I think we can live this out, the things that God is clearly inviting us to do now. 
Number, number one, live an unapologetically Christian life. I've been using this language for a while now in teaching, right? Live an unapologetically Christian life. The most authentic thing to do in the 21st century, if you are a Christian, is be a Christian. Don't apologize for being a Christian. Don't pretend not to be a Christian. Don't water down your Christianity. Respect the views of other people, but be a Christian person in your workplace, in your neighborhood, wherever you spend your time. That means daily focus on Jesus' presence and leadership in our lives, staying focused on who Jesus is and where he wants us to go. It means actively listening to the Holy Spirit every day, not just on Sundays. It means admitting our faults, that we are flawed people who need the grace of God. We're not amazing people who figured it all out. We're flawed people who need to accept the death and resurrection of Jesus for forgiveness of our sins. We need to say out loud what we believe about Jesus. We can't just float through our time on this earth and let everybody think that God is mostly happy with them, mostly active only when they need help, somewhat distant the rest of the time, and really just hoping that we follow the rules of being kind and nice and fair. That's a tragedy. We need to say out loud how believing in Jesus and following Jesus is different from that. And we have to connect our words with concrete actions that show people why those beliefs make any difference in the world at all. Anybody? Focus our energy and our resources on joining God's work in the world and God's kingdom. Focus on humble acts of mercy and justice. Invest ourselves in our local church communities, recognizing that we can't be Christians on our own. Planning, placing service of other people ahead of serving ourselves. Any one of those bullet points would be a way forward to, to following what God wants us to do in the 21st century. If Haggai were here, I think that he would probably ask us, if your life doesn't look like this, this description, what will it take for you to reprioritize your life? That's a profit question. What set of circumstances will it take for you to reprioritize your life? Let me invite the band and the communion servers to come up. I want to finish by uh, highlighting one more thing in Haggai in chapter 2. Uh, the beginning of chapter 2, Haggai is addressing the challenge that he knows the people are going to face, where the temple that they rebuild is tiny compared to the original temple that Solomon built. And so the question is, what if you focus your resources on the thing that God wants you to focus on, and it's not very good? It looks poor compared to what other people have done. What if you're part of a church that's not 10,000 people? What if it's only 150 people or 200 people? What if you invest yourself in some ministry and it just doesn't turn out the way that you want it to? What if you love your neighbor endlessly and it doesn't seem like it makes any difference in their lives? What if you invest your things in, in God's kingdom, but you don't see it grow and become a huge impacting thing? Then what do you do? And in Haggai chapter 2, 1 to 5, the, the response is very simple. It is that God is with us, that we should be strong and continue to work, and that we shouldn't fear. And this is maybe one of the more important things that we need to take away from being God's people in the 21st century. We are not responsible for the results of our ministry. God's responsible for those things. 
What we're responsible for is faithfully prioritizing the things that God says are most important and investing ourselves in those things and let them go to where they will. It's tempting to stop investing in God's kingdom when you don't see results right away. Many of you come to Mill City Church because you've had terrible church experiences. And you wonder, is church even worth it anymore? And what the message of Haggai encourages you is that because we're investing in things that God will bring to fruition in the future, that it's worth it. And you should keep going. And God is with you. So whatever investment you're making now, because if you're doing it because God has led you to do it, even if you haven't seen amazing results yet, even if the temple seems tiny compared to the other temples that you've seen in other, other places, keep going because God is with you. And faithfulness will result in God bringing about the results that God wants to see. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for speaking to us from so long ago through the experiences of these people. We pray, God, that you would help us to reprioritize our lives, that you would help us to consider our ways and make you, Jesus, our top priority. Give us one way this week where we can, we can prioritize you, where we can invest ourselves in your kingdom purposes as a church and as individuals. God, allow our lives to speak boldly to people around us who maybe have fallen asleep into views of you that don't make any sense and aren't true. Help us to love our neighbors in your name and help them to see that you have done everything possible to restore your relationship with them and with us. Make your name great, God, through our lives this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you've not celebrated communion with us at Mill City Church, everyone who's a follower of Jesus is welcome to share at our communion table. The way we practice it is as this next song is being played, you come forward and you take a piece of gluten-free bread and you dip it in some juice. Uh, and you, those things represent Christ's body given for us and Christ's blood shed for us. There'll be some people along the walls who would love to pray for you. If that's something you want, you just stop and ask them to pray for you or give them something specific to pray for today. Tell them your name and invite them to pray for you. Um, we love the fact that we get to celebrate communion every week at Mill City Church because it reminds us that what Jesus has done for us is more important than anything else. So come forward when you're ready.